like a monkey shot from a cannon. Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide, and I'm actually back home. Go figure that. I jetted coming home, so I get in the car super early. I was going to do break up the trip because it was saying like 18 hours to go from Tennessee to um, Colorado. And I figure, well, I'll stop in Kansas City. I'll see George Gardner and those guys, and I reach out to George. I'm like, hey, I'll probably be stopping by. He's like, dude, come on over, man. Got a place for you. I'm like, oh, awesome, cool, thanks. And then I like got in the car super early in the morning, and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm going to be at Kansas City like 2 o'clock. What does that mean for like getting to Colorado? So I look at it. It's like, wait a minute. If I drive straight through, I'll be home at 9 o'clock. So that's what I did. Uh, Jetted across. Came home uh, late Monday night. Tuesday took off, got cleaned up, had all kinds of mail and junk and things to do. So kind of getting sorted out and clean. And then yesterday I looked at emails. I had like 600 emails that I had to deal with. A uh, bunch of stuff, some commercial email things and advertising and all that stuff. Mark got dropped off. Uh, Mark's girl, Tina, came down and uh, they drove into a hurricane or some shit. They're down in Mississippi right now. And we got like that hurricane um, kind of bearing down on us and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I was like, damn, man, you're like all going to a hurricane and shit. And then I enjoyed it because I came out here and the weather was dry because it's been so dang humid everywhere we went. And... uh the dry weather actually felt pretty good, even though it's hot as shit. Tomorrow I got class for Mile High. Uh, go down and see Mike and those guys. And I think they got Nate out there fixing our busted up barricades and stuff when the weather took our barricades and gave it a spin and a twist and a throw and a smash. So our barricades all got smashed up. I think probably weighed like 450 pounds and the wind picked it up and just destroyed it. Like, you know, like totally blew it up. Yeah, like some spooky shit, man. Who the hell knows what's going on with that stuff? But um, overall, man, we had a really good trip, you know. Um, got to see a lot of good students, another big, wide variety of people uh, doing the precision rifle thing. I'm digging you guys are liking the burger, no BSBC. At first, it kind of, you guys were pretty mellow on it at first. You were like, man, all right. And then we started getting past like episode five. And then all of a sudden, like, the, the the comments and everything are jumping up crazy and everybody's all happy. But the last two on reloading, I think, went really well with uh, Brian and Emil there. Uh, I think we got, like, two more to do with them. I'm not sure what their schedule looks like, although everything's still getting canceled, move. I got a call like, hey, you know, the gathering, Scout Sniper Associations, and, and then it's, like, canceled. Then they were like, you know, Precision Rifle Expo, hey, yo, canceled. You know, and it's 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 like I think they're gonna cancel shot. I hope they cancel shot show. I can use the break. I don't I don't wanna go to shot. I mean, this thirty days is like man, the hotel, some of them were good and some of them were just just killed me and uh the trucks and this and that. Though honestly, the worst thing about the trip, I'm gonna say to you guys is you truck drivers, man, you big tractor trailer guys are annoying. Not only do you like pulling the parking lot and just leave your trucks running and the AC going and shit all night, it's like, dude, what is up with that? And then, you know, on the road, it's like, you're not passing because we're too close. Some guy tried to post some bullshit on the hide, like, well, it's you guys driving. It's like, nah, you guys are pulling out and passing each other for no friggin' reason. You're getting paid, man. Sit in your lane and just relax and take your check. I got things to do, places to go. You know, you guys are way cutting out and then you take three miles to pass somebody. 
It's like, oh, my buddy in front of me is going uh, 1.2 miles per hour slower than I am. I'm going to pull out. Six miles later, I'll complete the pass while we're alongside each other and blocking a two-lane highway. It's like, man, I I smoked you guys. I was like, I'm out of here. You freaking annoying. Then I think, what is it, like Fort Riley or something coming from like Kansas, Missouri, somewhere out there. It's like this. I think it's the big, the uh, uh, big red, right? The number one or whatever, uh, you know, whatever that army, you know, the the big red one. That's it, the big red one, guys. Man, I was kind of coming through there, and like everybody getting on the highway was like the shittiest drivers on the planet. It was like every person who came on the highway tried to hit like three people on their way in. I was like, what the frick? I'm getting out of here. So it was like, hundred, I'm out. So had to take off and do that, but it was pretty funny. So I made it like in 13 hours. Instead of 18, which was nice, you know, cannonball, cannonball run. Although I guess guys did cannonball runs during the pandemic when everything was shut down and like had cannonball run records and Audi has it now or something. I thought a Mercedes had it, but I guess an Audi did it. But I mean, I don't know. It's kind of pandemic run, you know, that, that there's an asterisk, but I didn't speed too bad, but the car ran nice and all that shit was going, um, Guys were asking about Treadproof, man. So the October class is like mega full because a shitload of you guys moved from, um, we had like five people moved from this class in Treadproof. We had like eight guys there um, from uh, this class to the October. So the October's got like 16 people in it now or something like that. But uh, they're doing some work. We had a good target package, man. So they, they're, they're making improvements and they got a wood guy in. And so... I'm hoping they're 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 pushed out um, by October. They're talking about it. It should be because they've got some valuable uh, timber on there. So a guy offered to basically trade out the taking the timber down, and um, you know making they can get to a thousand yards with it. I don't know if it's going to be ready because there is some earth that needs to be moved. And the same company said they could do both, but I don't know what the timing's going to be like for that. So um, they have the opportunity, if they get it, they can go behind us 100 yards, which we're talking about. Um, that'll add another 100 yards to shoot past the platform. And then um, they're, they're going to go out. I told them at a minimum, go out to the 800. And then if they do the back behind us, and then over the off season, they can do the 1,000. Um, but if they can get them both done in one shot, then they're going to do to 1,000, man. But the guys um, on board, they already walked them through. And so they're they're doing improvements down at Treadproof. Had a good time at that class, man. We had a good set of students. We had one. Um, Mark was really hot on it. Um, Grant, he's really there, kind of like a go ruck thing. He was there with Brett, buddy of Brett, and they were they were doing like a jungle course, like a two and a half mile jungle course to ruck around up and down the hills. You know, basically follow the outside of the property and work your way in. And so I asked them to find some holes to uh, shoot through as well. So there'll be kind of like a movement course, one that goes over the 100-yard line and then one on the opposite side where the long range is. Um, but they had a, they increased the target package like crazy. We had like 44 targets up, which was nice. And then, you know, putting some back into the woods, into the trees, and a lot of really small ones, man. We were shooting... Um, you know, three to one small targets to the, to, uh, I think the biggest we might have shot was a 66 percenter, um, which was nice, man. It, it made for that. And then they built some barricades. They have a, a, a construction guy on site there, Adam, and he's been doing some barricade stuff. 
So they had like these barricades for bounding and they used pallets and everything. And so it was like super stiff, like he concreted them in the ground or did something. But I was like expecting like a flimsy barricade and, um, you know, threw the bags on top of them and we were shooting off of them. And they were really, really sturdy. I was like, damn, what'd you guys do to mount this shit? Couldn't even see it. But then um, I'm going to have them. They have like 12, 15 pallets still there. So I'm having them run the pallets along the bottom of the, the platform they created. And there'll be a high, low, high, low, just squared because they made kind of a bounding uh, thing that you could shoot from. It was it was good. We shot off of it. But I'm going to have them do more of a of a high, low, high, low. So waist, chest, waist, chest, you know, kind of thing for barricades and so that'll be kind of cool um but yeah man we had a really good class doc did his presentation um a, a bit and he, we even did some talking about like this covid shit and how it goes like all this stuff tends to go from like birds to then like the bat you know it needs like that intermediary um, kind of um mammal because the birds have like a such a high temp you know they're like 105 compared to our 98 and then it goes to like something that's like 102 and then it goes down to the 98, which is the pigs. And so once it kind of dips into a pig, they know you're screwed, like, oh, we're screwed kind of thing. So you get you get the doc's perspective on that. But we had a brand like Grant was a brand new shooter. Um, he was just there hanging out with Brett, just sitting in on the class. And it's like, you're taking the class, you know. And he's like, what? And, he, you know, and he never shot a precision rifle. We did a fundamental eval with him. And, and he literally, like with an AI, shot like a three-minute group. And it was like, dude, how many rounds with a precision rifle have you ever shot? And he, he was like, 40 maybe? And it was like, whoa. And so, um, you know, we, we were kind of working with that, and we got him spun up. And at the end, Mark posted a picture on Facebook or video of him doing the final eval with us and, and just kind of running in the dry fires and in the different things that, that, you know, basically bringing him up to speed. And Grant turned into a hammer, man. He had, you know, he had Doc's uh, good equipment, probably Brett's gun. Um, so good AI, Schmidt and Bender. We, we switched out the bipod because they were running Harris's. We, we swapped that out for either a Thunder Beast or um, Atlas Cal. And I lost my Thunder Beast because uh, the Doc bought it off me, um, you know, because he's like, I'm like, dude, you guys are using Harris's still. Stop using Harris. And he's like, or oh, it works. I'm like, no, it don't. And, then, and it was funny because they have like such the great um, uh, classroom. I was able to, I, I've been bringing a Harris with me, my personal, one of my original ones. It was actually the one that was on the Gladius, Gladius, the one Chris Kyle made famous. I made it, he made it famouser. And, and, and so a George made it, I designed it and called it a name and all that shit. And then he's like, Chris is like, I don't want to buy a gun. And George's like, you want Frank's gun? He's like, what do you want to mean? And then that's how the Gladius was born, or at least got famous or than when I used it. But anyway, I had that one, and it's out of square. You could see it. I mean, the springs, the legs, the one leg looks one way, one leg looks another. So with, like, the crazy good projector and everything in the classroom, I was able to kind of line it up, and there was lines on the on the thing, and you can't square them up, man. It's like it's neon when you look at, you know, you got four springs in the dang thing. The legs aren't square. All these different dramas going on. And, and what is it? It's like shit. So um, there was that. And then, oh, man, I got to address this. Uh, it's like uh, rifle rest versus rear bag. 
Rifle rest versus rear bag. So many people are showing up with these um, game changers and variations of said product, the game changer, and mostly the full-size ones, and they're using it like a rear bag. Stop. It's not a rear bag. It's a rifle rest. It's like, would you take your V-bag that you put on your bench that you bought at Cabela's and use it as a rear bag? No. Please stop. You're compromising. I get it. If, you, if you're in a match and you only want to carry one bag and they throw in like a prone and you drop down on top of your game changer and shoot off of it, great. But when you're trying to learn, no. When you're trying to gather dope, no. When you're trying to do all these silly things that people are trying to do with these game changers, no. It's a rest. You put it on the thingamajigger like a fence, a post, a barricade, and you rest your rifle on it in the middle because it's seven pounds. It doesn't make it a rear bag. It's a rifle rest, not a rear bag. And then you don't have the first clue what to do with a rear bag. And it's falling over. It's going sideways. And you wonder why your rifles hop. It's like, dude, do you not see what's going on here? Eliminating angles, straight lines, which is why we don't like a Harris. It's all an angle with springs. And now with springs, you know, it's like, what the hell? Yeah, it's more ghosty shit. And so um, we're getting into fall almost. It's almost September already, believe it. But anyway, the rear bags, man, it's like, please learn to use a dang rear bag. It, 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 it's, it's not these. I mean, I get it, man. I got a bunch of them too. Like maybe, maybe you have an argument to say your pint size game changer would work. And the pint size is about as big as I would go for something to substitute as a rear bag. But yeah, man, we get it. You could flop down. You could do all kinds of stuff. I know it, man. But that's a compromise. And we're not looking for compromises. We're looking for foundation. You're you're in Frank and Mark's PR one and a half-ish. And we're building a foundation, right? So then you could do whatever you want on top of that foundation. But foundations aren't built with compromises, man. It's like, wow. Oh. You guys are torturing me. And it's like, please be realistic in your expectations of what you're trying to do. You know, you don't want to be harsh and shit, but if you're 70, you're probably not shooting PRS. I get it. It sounds cool, but you're 70. I'm I'm not. I don't want to shoot PRS, and I'm only 53. It hurts. It's icky. It's like, owie. Ow, my knees, on my back. I get in and I'm like, man, why did I run? <laughs> no, man. You know what I mean? Just be realistic. It's like crazy how people are are trying to do that, you know. But I get it. It's fun. You know, go RO. Um, go be part of it. There's other ways to be part of this community and to do things where you can probably still shoot with the people more on your terms. You know, go try this. Go do that. But if you're an RO, you probably could say, hey, man, can I try that stage? Yeah, go ahead. You know, that kind of stuff. If the, if the match director's cool, which they should be. But, um, yeah, man, just be realistic. But, man, we had such great students, and we talked about it a ton. Um, came back to just crazy more hide numbers, man. I'm going to be 800,000 unique users, like, next week. Um, it was like 785 uh, today, yesterday when I looked. 785,000 unique users on Sniper's Hide. That's crazy. If you want information, that's where it's at. 
You know, if you want to learn this stuff, that's where you go ask the questions. But remember, smarter questions. We want smarter, better educated. So we want good, detailed, complete questions. I had a guy, man, this this dude was just zombie apocalypsing. You know, more money than sense. He's out there and he's like, zombie apocalypse, what gun should I get? I want the most expensive gun that I'm never going to use and blah, 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 and get me this and how about this? And he's trying to let like rattle off cool guy shit. And then he just got rid- more ridiculous, more ridiculous. And then he would bounce into, you know, places because he's, he's now he's so full of himself. And and then it's like, dude, you're out, man. We're, you're a red flag to begin with. We don't want you. And then he steps in it. And he goes, well, the rules, the rules. It's sometimes it's more than the rules. You know what I mean? Sometimes you're just a douche. And it's like, man, yeah, did you technically break a rule? Mm, no, but you're annoying as shit. We don't want you on the forum. You're like a walking red flag. Every post you make, someone's texting it to me and going, what is this guy's issue? You know, it's like, well, he's technically not breaking the rules, but he's asking really dumb shit and he's bouncing around just like inserting his two cents. And then when people say, dude, that's kind of ridiculous. Then what do they do? They get combative. I didn't break the rules and they insulted me first. It's like, yeah, but you're the problem. That guy doesn't go around hunting people down to, to and you know, to, to poke. But you just like bring it out of people. And so it's like trying to explain to somebody, it's not always the written rule. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's like you. And you're just toxic, and I don't want you on there. I mean, with this many people, it's like, yeah, we don't need that. Goodbye. No, we don't. I'm, I'm out. You're, you're, you're annoying, and and it's like you're bringing nothing to the table. You know, I mean, if if you bring something to the table, man, even if it's an iceberg lettuce salad with you know really bad ranch dressing or something, I don't know, oil and vinegar unmixed. You know, bring something to the damn table. If, if you're not sure, you're asking a question and you're saying, hey, man, I'm not hunting. Ask a detailed question. Tell us what your budget is. Tell us what's going on and be like, hey, man, I don't have a lot of money. I'm looking to spend this much. What can I do to do this? And, and, and people will help you. But if you're like, you know, what's the best stuff? It's like, okay, dude, how much money you got? You know, I don't know. It's just... But I'm getting back into it now. I'm reading it up. Appreciate the mods keeping the house from burning down while I was gone. I mean, I I popped in, checked out some things and stuff. But the biggest, like I said, the biggest takeaway is just guys trying to compromise with these rear bags, man. I get it. You see in the videos, guys want to only carry one thing. And you know, the funny part is we all got like 10 bags. I mean, there's really no way around it. We're always playing with bags. I'm kind of playing with the Precision Undergrounds right now. The 3D ELR, I think I got it. His heavy fill is on it. I'm going to change, like, I want, like, maybe two inch more. I want it more rectangle. And his are tend to be almost on the edge of square. But I want a little more rectangle. But his heavy fill with just a little bit less. You need about an inch. So the bag needs to be, like, two and a half inches taller. But it needs to have, like, an inch to three quarters of an inch less stuff in it. Then his straps on the on the 3D ELR bag aren't so bad, but on his regular bags, his straps are pretty tight. So I asked them to open them up so you guys can get your hands in there. Um, but man, I mean, I brought four bags with me, and like I mentioned with Market and all that, we brought. Um, I brought Atlas Cows and Thunder Beast. Mark brought Atlas uh, Thunder Beast as well, and we swapped out a bunch of bipods. I mean, we're looking at. 
these, you know, basically your prone situation and what's going on and what creates any any anomalies. Because, I mean, we're seeing, you know, rifles sink into the shoulder and drop in under the bag or bounce on the bag. And then you get vertical spread at certain yard lines. And you're like, well, my dope's off. You know what I mean? All this, uh, er, Mark has an uh, article on the front page called Errors Are Cumulative. They are. You know what I mean? And and so we, we got all this stuff going on. And, you know, you, you'll have this little bounce because you're using an air filled or it's you don't have lift in the rear of your butt and you're prone. And when you shoot, you're not managing the recoil well. You're not holding the back of the rifle. It's getting a little bit of a running start. And what's it do? It sinks like a quarter of an inch down and under your shoulder pocket a bit. Then your elevation jumps up. And then you got a weird anomaly in your elevation, you know. So we see that. I mean, really, when you think about it, the fact of the matter is, other than maybe on paper, you're barely sh- having a single shot fired in our class, okay? So we're talking just shy about 200 rounds of, you know, precision rifle and maybe, maybe 20 of them aren't under direct observation. So we're seeing a lot. We're seeing things that are going on. Why? Because we're looking, okay? We got one guy on glass. He's worried about that, okay? I can spot him. I can get him on. Is he waterline? What's his dope look like? We got another guy looking at you and saying, yeah, that was good. No, that's bad. Here's what's going on in real time. You know what I mean? And so we're able to see it as the shot happens. And it's not a case where, like, if I'm back on glass by myself, and you're up there shooting and I see something weird happen in the spawning scope, then I got to look over at you and go, hmm, what could he have done? No, instead, they're, they're, they're matched, right? There's a guy watching you and he goes up, you tap that trigger. Well, he's on the line. Well, let's do another one because he tapped that trigger. Boom, okay, he's still on the line. All right, that's good, write that down. Or, and that one went high in the shoulder. Yeah, the, the rear back sank and fell underneath on him and, and the butt came down, the muzzle came up. That's a bad shot. Don't count it. Rebuild your position. Fix it. Get a good solid. Now do this. Okay, fire. Boom. Waterline. See, that round went high because you did this. And where else are you going to get that? You know what I mean? Because it's it's just, it ain't happening. You know, you can probably think somebody will watch you once or twice, maybe three times. But we're watching you like 100, maybe more, probably more. So, Anyway, that's that's kind of cool that we're doing that. I feel like, you know, I feel like the um, DJ chick on the Warriors. You know, hey, Bopper, something's going on out there, and you should hit him over the head with a baseball bat. But anyway, so um, that's that's what's happening with that. But we're seeing it, you know what I mean? And, and so it just comes down to this bag. So I'm using the Precision Underground. I'm communicating with them. We're trying it. We're talking to the students. What do you like about that bag? What don't you like about that bag? Okay, I see this. Create the rabbit ears with it. Now pinching in their pincers and graspers. Okay, these are going to want to come together. Okay, do that. What do you got going on? How's that feel? All right, let's see what the recoil looks like. Hey, that's in a much straighter line with a lot less movement now. Do you still have your sight picture? Yes, you do. All right, now let's go and go to work. You know, that kind of stuff. Just like even changing it with the evals. Where, you know, we, we want you dry fire and given time and opportunity, given time and opportunity, 
you should always dry fire because that's your fine tune for your natural point of aim, right? Dry fire, dry press. That's what you want to do. Make sure you know that trigger. You're not going to flinch it. But what you're trying to get, what we're trying to get with people is to get them to dry fire, right? But then go right into a live round without breaking their position, lifting their cheek, having to make too much movement. So kind of started going in the in the last set of classes and everything to go, okay, do you dry fire? Do you dry fire? Close the bolt, dry fire. Now the mag comes in. You dry fire that guy, then run the, the bolt on a live round. So you should dry fire three times, reload the fourth, put the mag in, dry fire that fifth, then go live. You know what I'm saying? So you kind of want, like the fifth shot in that dry fire practice to be the live one. Or you can do five practices, you know, four practices. Mag goes in, the fifth is the dry, and then the sixth is the live mag. But it's up to you, given that time and opportunity. I I, I think, you know, when you're new, five dry practices is better than three. But if you've been doing it a bunch or you're going down the string, and you don't have to do it every single time uh, uh, with that, but given that time and opportunity, you should set your natural point of aim with the dry practice and make sure that reticle stays on the target where you want it to include that wind call that you're going to be working on because then you don't want to muscle over for your wind call, right, and and ruin it all and and kill your MPA just for a wind call. Um, I kind of been bringing up the the whole golf thing, if you think about it, right? So I put my my ball down on, on, on the green, in or uh, you know between the, the the pins there, whatever they call it. I'm not a golfer. What do I know? Um, but you put the ball down right on, on its little uh, peg there. And then I'm gonna do and set my natural point of aim. I'm gonna I'm gonna address the ball. So I'm gonna stand over it. I'm gonna shuffle my feet. I'm gonna try to get the direction to go right down the middle of the fairway. And I'm gonna check my natural point of aim. Well, then I'm gonna check my sight picture with the club, right? So I'm gonna run my my club back and forth, back and forth. I want to make sure I'm gonna hit that ball straight and square. That becomes my natural point of aim, right? Then sight picture, or, or, or I take that. They they both end up working together. So you adjust your MPA along with your sight picture. That's the same thing you do with your rifle. You adjust your MPA with your sight picture. That's where that dry fire comes from. That's your practice. Then I'm going to get ready to to, to, to to break the trigger on that guy, right? So I'm going to move back and I'm going to get my swing ready. I'm going to load that swing up and cock my spring. Then I'm going to fire it. Trigger comes and releases, hits the ball. Then I'm going to follow through. I'm not going to let go of the club. I'm not going to hit the ball and just stop hitting the ball or do something different. I'm going to swing through the ball and follow through. So you got your natural point of aim. You couple that with your sight picture. That te- that makes sure you're aligned correctly and you're not going to muscle the rifle and on that recoil, you're not going to flinch or do anything crazy. Then you got your trigger control and follow through. Those guys work together and you take your trigger control and your follow through and then you make sure you hit the ball straight and square. Same thing when you fire the rifle. We want that recoil to come back in a straight line so we're not influencing it. So we got all that same stuff happening. Golf shooting, right? Mark talks about it in class with the darts, man. He took up darts during COVID, right? He's got to set his natural point of aim. He's got to make sure he's lined up behind the mark. Then he's got to make sure he's got his body position good. He's going to check his sights where he's looking to where he's aiming. Then he's going to release, follow through, follow through, man, right? Because you got to do all that stuff.
needs an ending, like bong, bong. Needs stuff like that. But anyway, that's what you guys are getting, right? This is the foundation, man. This is the foundation to all great shooting. There's a lot of really good, bad shooters out there. Guys who learn to adapt their bad habits and who can now consistently fire, you know, a good tight group, okay? The problem is, is when you take those guys out of their comfort zone, when you move them to a new situation, they usually have to begin to relearn what they're doing, especially if you get them off their belly or compromise them or take them off the bench. You can find a whole bunch of guys who are good, bad shooters who have been on that same bench for 30 years doing the same thing. They're hand loading. They're doing all this stuff. They're great. Take them into another situation. It's not going to work out as well. That's why they never show up at matches or do anything like that because it's a different kind of situation and now their brain has to start over where if we build a foundation and then translate that foundation to other situations like the alternate positions and things, which we've been doing a little bit more of that, getting you off your belly a little bit more. And, and, and we've been moving it so quick because we just got this shit down as an assembly line. We're moving it so dang quick that we're able to get to a lot more alternate positions with guys and a lot more reticle work because we are finding, you know, does your scope match your reticle to the degree you need it to? You know, on these sub $1,500 scopes, it's not always uh, obvious. You know, you're, you guys guys don't have the disposable income to buy those two $3,000 scopes, you know, and, and sometimes you see a little bit of an issue. Uh, so matching your dope with your reticle and doing that kind of stuff, I think is a good way of checking it out. And, it, and it's a good drill to have, right? Because it, when you're on a clock, if they want you to do something faster, going to the reticle is going to be faster. It's not going to be as precise, but the more you practice it, the more precise and accurate you'll get. So that's why we want to practice that stuff. I mean, that's what I tell everybody at the end of the class. You practice what you suck at, you know, because if you already got this one part of it down, you need to move to the next part to make sure you get that guy down. It's more tools in the toolbox and you want a better tool for your toolbox so when the case comes you're not going oh, i only got two tools man what am i gonna do instead you're like dude i got six tools man i'm gonna bust out this one or the ah man but don't get tool overload you know but you'll have more tools to play with and one of them might work a little bit better than the other speaking of that i'm gonna talk one more thing um i brought it up a little bit so uh quick shout out and and not in a negative way but i mean when we were in I iowa we were at that sure shot range, and that's the range that Jim C uses and does his uh, border uh, border war series and stuff like that, right? So, you know, there's always been back and forth PRS guys versus this versus that, and and really, I've I've like yeah, I mentioned this even with Satterley, like really, it's kind of the nomenclature we're using, it's the terms that I think are the bigger part of certain disconnects, and one of them is that free recoil. To me. If your shoulder is, if, if the rifle is in your shoulder, that's not free recoil, okay? I mean, there, that there's a different side. So if you take your, your rifle, your, your shoulder out from behind the rifle, you go over and you kind of brace your thumb on the back of the trigger guard and you fire the thing that way and you're letting the rifle sort of recoil on your own and you're just kind of catching it, that's that's free recoil. I got that. Okay. That's, but that's not what a lot of guys are doing. Have some guys done it and are they out there trying it? Yeah. And that's why you get, 
you know, a heavier rifle with a four-port brake with a lighter bullet because lighter bullets moving faster. They're going to recoil a little bit less. They're out of the barrel quicker, so any movement that happens, you're hoping the bar- the bullet's already gone from the barrel, right? So I'm there, and this is the sure shot range, and it's where Jim, and he has this little PRS area up, and so I'm doing a, a little bit of a class there. And I had guys in the class that had taken Jim's PRS, kind of his competition, uh, you know, deals. And so and he calls me over and he's like, hey, explain this to me because I can't do it. And I took Jim's class and this doesn't quite work for me. And how do we manage this? And, it's, and, and so I'm like, well, all right, well, what was Jim's solution? He goes, well, Jim's solution was the same. You know, you're going to kind of do this manage recoil. And I'm going to call it manage recoil because what they're looking to do uh, Fuzz is barking at something. So you got to, so let's say me, tactical guy, shoulders in front of the hips, stacked behind the rifle. That's 100%. Then I'm going to back off that 100% press into the obstacle with the rifle to minimize the wobble. I want to minimize my wobble zone. So the more pressure, the more me I put into that rifle system, especially on a bag or something like that, the, the more it's going to move. So then you start backing off that amount of pressure. Now, what I found is at 100%, I'm probably within a half mil of my target, even from the standing with my shoulders in front of my hips. Did it on the cattle guard out there, did it on some of the other things um, that, like the tree and things like that. So I can see no problem where I've hit and missed what's going on, but my wobble zone is kind of big. So then I go to a 75% managed recoil behind the tripod, behind the obstacle, behind the bag, whatever the case may be. I'm now backing off my shoulder pressure, my influence on the rifle. I may still be able to put it into the barricade, may be able to put it into the tripod, but I'm not putting it into the rifle. I still don't want to give the rifle too much of a running start because then I get, uh, if it has too much of a muzzle uh, running start, it's going to move off target. Then I have to reacquire. I found right about 75%, I was between a mil and two mils of movement, right? So up usually because it's coming back and the nose will bounce up a little bit once it hits my shoulder because the pressure is a lot less. So 75 was still manageable, reduced my wobble, and especially with the AI, um, you know, because it's not heavy or weighted. It's I was still shooting a 6.5 Creed with heavier uh, 130s. They those aren't heavy, but um, with the 130s. But I wasn't doing anything special, right? And then I was running my hand along the side, not pushing down on the top of the scope. Um, so I have it. I put my thumb in the notch for the night vision bridge. I kind of pull back a little bit and then down. So I create sort of a lateral stability with my forearm. Uh, is there. So 75% is still pretty good and reduces my wobble, not bad. When I go to 50%, my wobble is well inside a 66% plate at about 400 yards, right? So that's a 12-inch plate, 400 yards. My wobble's well inside of it. But then I found I was getting like a 10 mil jump. Like nose was coming off and it was landing back like 10 mils and I couldn't really see anything. And that was the answer because this guy was shooting a Tika, Light barrel, not a crazy chassis, um, suppressor on it, but still a shorter light Tika barrel. And his question to Jim was, well, how do I prevent I need to see to correct and to do this in the first shot? 
do you, you know, um, see your target? And, and apparently Jim's response, and I get where he's going. Like I said, I'm not throwing a negative on him. Um, was, you know, no, my dope's good enough. I don't have to worry about it. I know what I do with my wins, so I just need it to hit the target because I know it's going to hit the target. And they're advocate, advocating about a 25% load. So they're really going next to no influence. So break down your managed recoil into that percentage, 75, 50, 25%. They're at the 25%. And he goes, my rifle's jumping all over because I don't have the weight system. I'm not running a four-port break, and, and, you know, I have all these things. So, like, my answer was, well, wait a minute. Let's look at this a second. Yeah, it is moving around. I do see the same thing you're seeing. I shot his rifle. I said, well, if I wanted to fix this, and I took his pint-sized game changer and stuck it on his bipod and created a weight out front so his nose stayed down, and that kind of helped. But, you know, then he would need two bags. He would need one on the bipod that was a heavier weight, to weight it down and then one that he's using as a rest. So the the game changer on the log or the rock or the cattle guard or whatever the case may be. And then you need the weight system up front. So really it, it, is, it does work within that rifle, but what do you do when your rifle doesn't sort of meet that 20 pound, six millimeter threshold? You know, what if you're 14 pound 308? You know, that's not going to work the same. And that's where I think that context and explaining it and, and everybody being on the same page, nomenclature-wise, might help people better understand what they're doing instead of just kind of making a joke that, hey, it's free recoil. Yeah, it's managed recoil, um, right? And we're just reducing the management. And, and it is a valid technique, right? It does work. You could see it. Um, you know, because that's, look, we have a flat bottom rifle, you know, even now with the Arca rails and stuff creates a flat bottom and they're trying to create sort of a PRS stock. That's like an F class bench rest stock, flat bottom to ride the bags. Cause the solution for a lot of this is bag. So you want something that rides it in a straight line that rides it without a pick rail getting caught and, and changing the recoil pulse and hicking it up you know, and doing something weird. So if it rides straight and then you can kind of just put a little bit of, of shoulder behind it, even if it's only 25%, it's going to come straight back. You can use that, that support hand to keep it down from a muzzle jumping. And because when it hits your shoulder, the muzzle is going to want to come up. So the heavy weight up front is what prevents it because the barrels, right? They're doing straight taper barrels and much heavier. And that's where all that weight's going because then the muzzle stays down. Um, this isn't anything new. We've done this in the past, right? Bench rest guys off of bags. Uh, you're, you find it, go to, go to any public range, find that 70 year old guy in a bench in a V bag. He's doing it too. He's just doing it off a bench, you know? So there, there, this is all valid stuff, but I think the missing element is context and percentages and, and, and then having the term that translates more so than someone going, that's a free recoil. And, and they probably do call it a bit of free recoil, just minimizing, you know, but it would be a managed free recoil in a way because it would be more like, you know, well, here I got a, a, an eighth an inch of free recoil because it's only, I'm, I'm putting this much pressure. So the butt's going to come back an eighth of an inch. And here's another guy's going to kiss up less 50% and have it come back a quarter of an inch. Then the guy's going to do that 25% and it's going to come back a half an inch. You know, because it's it's that 
kind of light of a touch that they're they're giving the rifle that much more of a running start to minimize the the influence. But I mean, it's a good range out there. I, you know, I get what's going on, and and I understand the the pros and cons of all the different stuff. But um, yeah, I just like to me, it, it would help if everybody was kind of saying the same thing. You know, oh, we're gonna do a percentage of recoil or manage recoil versus calling it a free recoil and saying, you know, unless you dictated it to a a a, a length where I think the manage is a percentage of how much weight you stack behind it, you know? So, I mean, it's good to get to play with it. Cause I mean, I, I ended up dumping like 40 rounds myself over there, just working with the different ways of looking at this recoil pulse, um, with my rifle, with their rifle, with the different kinds of rifles and to see. And I personally think my AI's recoil pulse is, is different enough that, um, you know, I have to manage that, that rifle different. Then say a guy who's using something that's say like you know we'll call it like the gap production rifle for PRS, you know that guy where that's going to be in that twenty pound range. You got a uh, you know manners tunable stock in your balance it. You got a flat arc rail on it so it rides, and then I got a twenty six inch heavy taper barrel that's going to keep my nose down with a four port break in six millimeter. You know so you know that would be like saying I'm going to drive that tractor trailer on the freeway the same way I drive the fucking Macan, you know what I mean? Where when I pull out to pass somebody, you know, the tractor trailer ain't going anywhere near as fast as I'm going to go. And I'm going to pass you in seconds where he's going to take six miles, you know, and aggravate everybody behind him because they're driving alongside of each other and they can't make the pass. But you know what I'm saying? That's the context that I think we're missing. And that's what I would be looking for from, you know, some of these guys. Um, I don't, like I said, if it helps guys shoot, and they do a comp and everything and, and all that, and, and okay. And then there is a trigger control element, but guys are still afraid of it and tapping it. And, and really the biggest takeaway I think I have from this season shooting, because we're seeing a lot more of PRS guys coming to get kind of a fundamental tune-up, is competition scars. You know, you guys got competition scars out there, and I think a big part of it is the breaks. Because you're flinching, you're closing your eyes, you're kind of just doing this whole body like brace for that really loud break. And and so, uh, um, you know, in a way, the the, the 419 um, Maverick or whatever they're doing with that suppressed part of it, if we can knock down the sound by putting some kind of suppression behind a break, you know, that might be a little bit better. Guys should start doubling your ears up, man, when you're doing that because we're seeing we're seeing comp scars, man, and it, it's it's coming in the form of flinches, taps, and, and jerks on the trigger because you're trying to time it. You're trying to time the wobble. You know your trigger's light. You know you're trying to you're trying to come up and, and, and beat a clock. So it's it's almost becoming a shotgun scar. You know what I mean? Where you're kind of snatching it. Oh, now. I got to shoot that guy now. You know, I'm going to do it now. I mean, even talking to James, we're going to be doing a um, mover class up in um, Alaska. And they got the movers going on up there now. And um, they put it in a comp just to see what people would do like. And I said to James, I said, well, how many are shooting low under the plate and a lot? And how many are jerking it and snatching it and going, I need to shoot the mover now? And then they miss, you know, because they, they throw their shoulder into it. They snatch the trigger at the same time. And they got all these bad habits when they shoot these things. 
usually they shoot low, where you want to do something slow, tell yourself, press, you know, instead of now or shoot or something quick and sharp, because then it makes you throw your whole body into it. And when your brake goes bang, you jump too, and then it turns into a whole bunch of different problems that everybody's going on to. Anyway, that's what I got. Um, I had a great trip. Thank you, everybody. Um, thanks to uh, Bartlett and Brady for what they did um, in Minnesota. Thanks for Micah and Manners and everybody who brought swag uh, to Iowa. Um, we had a Thunder Beast cert we gave away. We had Manners swag we gave away. Um, there was some triad swag. We had all kinds of stuff that... Um, that were given away for um, Iowa and things like that. So thanks those companies that were supporting our training. Um, thanks to everybody who came to Treadproof. Well, had a good time, and I'll see all you guys who are COVID coward is COVID cowards. COVID cowards. Anyway, I'll see you guys who change your classes from um, uh, August to October. I get it, man. They're turned the shit's still turned off and, and things like that. And some places got quarantines and stuff, but no biggie. We had we had plenty of people for this class and then we'll have even twice as many for that. And I'm looking forward to them knocking the um some of the trees down. I want to shoot targets in the trees. We shot some in the trees and I liked it. When guys can see that they can burn through a loophole, it's kind of fun. Um, you know, that's, that's set up in the trees, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's moving, it's improving. It's, it's, it's a process and it, and, and it's slowly happening. So we're looking forward to it. If, if we get there in October and we got, uh, uh, lanes blown out, be happy campers, man. We'll all, we'll all take advantage of that guy. And, and we're going to, we're going to make Treadproof into a, a nice little East coast destination for us. You know, um, we don't need to do the whiz bang stuff right away. We'll get to that right now. We're doing foundations. So thanks to everybody there, um, you know, all those guys. Uh, thanks to Mark for a month of being in a car, being on a line, being in the hotel rooms, being in all that shit and eating crazy dinners and eating broccolis and, and only, you know, you want your, you want pie, take your white boy ass to Denny's. That was the funniest line, man. You want pie, take your white boy ass to Denny's. That's what, that's what that lady told Mark. That was funny as shit. Um, so... There was that. He got sick of pie after because then we got pie at O'Charlie's in different places. Um, thanks to all the people over there, man, because we, we took over that place every night and, and they made it nice for us. Um, but no, thanks to all the places. Sure shot. And thanks to Jake in Nebraska. That was a blast. Uh, it was good seeing everybody on the trip. I saw Chad Dixon. I saw Adam and JP from JP Rifles. Um, like I said, just everybody who came out, Ryan with Brownells with the match precision optic, definitely worth it. Um, it, it you know, the, the, some of these sub sub thousand dollars, man, they're, they're doing better, man. They're getting good. So you guys are looking to not spend two grand on a scope and you want to spend a thousand Brownells match precision, precision optic, not a bad thing. We've checked two and they've been a hundred percent. Same thing with the Athlons, man. We've been checking a lot of Athlons hundred percent. So all good shit. All right, guys, thank you. Have a good one. Cheers.